Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book. The book of Exodus shows God's deliverance and redemption of his people Israel and from bondage in Egypt. And, of course, the book is a foreshadow. It's a powerful foreshadow of the greatest event of all time. That's God's deliverance and redemption of mankind from the bondage of sin. Just as Egypt, uh, just as in Egypt the nation is, is saved from bondage by faith in the Passover Lamb, we are saved by faith in our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, from the bondage of sin. We're continuing, of course, this evening in a study. We realize that the Jews have become slaves. They're suffering. Pharaoh uh, wants to put all the boy babies basically to death. And in Exodus chapter 2, we see the birth of a son. It's Moses. We know him as the lawgiver. We think of Moses. We say, you know, law. the law came through Moses. Moses is the one that went to Mount Sinai. Moses is the one that got the law. Moses is the one that led the people out. We think of him that way, but we also realize that he is the one who was the one who led the nation out of bondage. Why was he not killed when he was born? Because the decree has already gone out that if it's a boy baby, they have to be thrown into the Nile. That's what we saw last time. What was his life like? What happened to him? We're going to see the birth of Moses, and then we'll have to go several other places. We're going to have to go to the book of Acts. We're going to have to go over to Hebrews. So we'll move around just a little bit tonight to get some more information about Moses because there's more information in the New Testament that goes back to this Exodus chapter 2 passage. So we'll see the birth of Moses, God's deliverer. What's amazing is God's got to deliver the deliverer, right? I mean, that's what's going to happen, and we'll see the early years of Moses' life. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have as believers be able to come together and to, to sing these great songs and to study the Bible. And Lord, we just ask you as we think about the life of Moses and we see him being born and, and what happened and how he was how he was basically protected and saved and what you did and how you work all things. And Lord, we realize that you work all things according to the counsel of your will and you actually work things better than we ever imagined. And we look at our lives and we look back and realize that you're working things that are just better or different even than we thought. So thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we just ask you to teach us now as we look at these, the early years, we might say, of, of Moses and what happened. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of you remember the story of baby Jessica. You remember that? She was the little girl that fell down that well, and, and she was trapped for several days, and the rescue workers came, and the TVs were on it, and it seemed like the entire nation watched as they tried to get the little girl out of the well. And after many hours of digging and to get through the side of the wall, she was rescued. And I remember I was watching one of the TV channels and talking about how this guy you know, pulled her up and held her up like, there she is, I've got her, and she was finally out of the trap. And have you ever felt trapped? you ever been in a trap? I mean, you think, gosh, sometimes people say, well, this job's a trap, or I'm in this problem. Well, you know that the Jewish people felt trapped in Egypt. I mean, they went down there. Everything looked good when they went down there. Joseph was already down there. The whole family came down there. God told them to go down there. We know that God removed them from the promised land so that they would not be influenced by the wickedness of the, of, of the, the Amorites who lived in that land. And then he brought them down to Egypt to protect them, to, to save them in the famine. And so everything looked good after they got down there, but then Joseph died. Generations went on and uh, people came in. A new Pharaoh rose to power. He was worried about these foreign people, these Jews, because they had just dealt with the Hyksos, the people they had just uh, gotten out. And so the Pharaoh has subjugated the Jewish people. And as we study this this evening, we're going to see this, the birth. We're going to see the birth of the man that God will use to free his people from the trap, from the slavery from the bondage. And of course, that man is Moses. And we call him the lawgiver. That's how we think of him. You know, if you, if you think of Jewish people and you say to Jewish people, name some great ones, they always name three. Abraham, David, 
and Moses. That's the big three. Now, we always say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob because the book of Genesis dealt with that. But the Jewish people think of Abraham as, as the patriarch, the man. They think of David as the great king, and they think of Moses as the lawgiver. And so we, we see Moses, the lawgiver, who led Israel out of Egypt, out of Egypt the Red Sea, the, and the wilderness, and the desert for 40 years. And so this evening, we're going to see the birth of Moses. Now, we remember last week, after the death of Joseph, the generation of Jews that went on, uh, this new Pharaoh came to power, and he feared the Jews because they were increasing, and we talked about that already tonight. But he did two things that were just amazing. First of all, he put them into slavery, and then the second thing, he sought to kill all the boy babies. Here's what he figured. Listen, they're slaves, but they're still dangerous. But as long as we start killing off all the boys, then the girls will just intermarry with them, and the boys there won't be any, won't be any soldiers, won't be any, won't be any fighters, and we'll just get rid of all them. His plan was to wipe out the people, but the plan didn't work because he told the <coughs> the maids, the uh, midwives, he said to them, when a Hebrew woman is having a baby, if it's a boy baby, when he comes out, kill him. If it's a girl baby, let it live. Well, they wouldn't do that. They they believed that they just got there and they wouldn't do it because they knew that there was a a life there. And so then the Pharaoh changed his command, and he basically said in, in verse 22 of chapter 1, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born to you, you're to cast into the Nile. Every daughter, you're to keep alive. So that was the plan. As we begin chapter 2, the birth of this little boy Moses, how does he escape being cast into the Nile? Well, the truth is he doesn't. He gets cast into the Nile. But it's not exactly how that Pharaoh thought that they were going to cast him in the Nile. We'll see about that. When you think about Moses, you think about him as a prophet, and he was. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses makes the statement that God will raise up a prophet like me. Prophet Moses was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Then he's also the lawgiver, which is the most amazing thing because the lawgiver uh, was the one who gave the law, of course. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. The third thing is that he was a mediator, and of course, mediator between Pharaoh and the people and even God. Jesus Christ is the mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, that is uh, God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And then he's a deliverer, and of course, Jesus Christ is a deliverer. So in a sense, Moses is really a sort of a, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And it's so amazing that when you when you look in the Scripture, how many types or foreshadows there are of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's think about his life. And let, let me show you something. If, you've, if you went to Acts chapter 7, let me, let me show this. You can divide his life into three-year time, three 40-year time divisions. It's amazing. He lived 120 years, and 40 years one place, 40 years the next place, 40 years the next place. So three 40-year time periods. And if you do that, you could go to Acts chapter 7. Now, don't go there, but let me tell you this. If you said, I don't have time to read the whole Old Testament history, <laughs> so if you want to get a quick synopsis, just read Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is a synopsis of the Old Testament history. Well, let me give you the division. The first 40 years of his life, he was born in Egypt. He was brought up in the court of Pharaoh. He was trained and educated. So his first 40 years was in Egypt. And think about it. You know about it. Here he was. Uh, he's born in Egypt. He ends up in Pharaoh's household. He gets trained. And these first 40 years of his life, he, you know, he, he's an Egyptian, basically. But he knows about his life. He knows who he is. And look at the second 40 years. He left the court to be with the Hebrews. That's what's so amazing. He got into trouble, fled to Midian, married, and became a shepherd. So the next 40 years of his life is on the backside of the desert. Now, here's what I always think about this. When I read this, I realize that Moses believed 
in his first 40 years of his life, he believed that he was the deliverer from Israel. He knew about it. He knew what his mother had told him. He knew who he was. I think he knew that he was supposed to be the one to deliver Israel. And it didn't work. And he ends up for the next 40 years on the backside of the desert, and he's a shepherd. And I guarantee you, if you'd have come to Moses when he is 50, 60, 70, almost 80 years old, and said, so how's your life going? I think he'd say, didn't go so pretty good. He said, what do you mean? Well, I'm supposed to have been the one to deliver Israel. But it didn't work. I, I blew it. I blew it. And so now, the rest of my life, I'm just, I'm just a shepherd. I'm not a leader. I'm not the deliverer. I'm on the backside of the desert. Nobody even knows who I am. And I don't even know anybody else. And I'm back over here. And, and that's the way my life is. And that's the way it looked. And see, what God is doing is preparing him to lead the people. He, he got trained in Egypt. That, that, could, that didn't train him to lead the nation of Israel. He had to get trained as a shepherd for 40 years because he's going to shepherd the nation of Israel for how long? 40 years. He's going to be their shepherd. And so God's training them there. Sometimes in our lives, we look at stuff and we say, this didn't turn out right. And we say, no, you just don't understand. God's working. It's turning out the way God wanted it. That takes us to the third 40 years of his life. God appears, go back, take the people out. He serves as the deliverer and the leader, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and he takes the people out and basically gets them up to the promised land. He doesn't get to go in, and we'll talk more about why he didn't go, get to go in later. So let's see now the first 40 years of his life, and the first 40 years of his life are what we're going to see in this chapter, and, and this is where he is raised uh, in, the, in the household. And so verses 1 through 10 is the background and the birth I put in the water because he gets put in the water. And then verses 11 through 15, he has to flee from Egypt because he's in hot water. Because that's how I put it. And just kind of fun there because the first part of his life, he gets put in the water and then raised up. And then as he gets a little older, he gets himself in trouble and he has to leave. And I mean, I've got a few questions. Uh, I've got a few questions that as I look at this passage, I just want to raise them. And we can talk about them if we want to. We'll see about it. Let's, let's see how it begins. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. Tell me who the Levites are. That, well, are they priests now? No, they haven't got... Listen, when do they get to be the priest? When after they come out, after they get the law, and they come back down, and God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose the tribe of Levi and Aaron and all of this. So when we say tribe of Levi right now, we know they're going to be the priestly tribe, but at this exact moment, they're not. They're just one of the, the twelve. And so it says, now there was a man from the house of Levi. He went and married a daughter of Levi. Do you know their names? Here's their names. Amram and Jochebed. That's their names. You don't find it until Exodus chapter 6, but that's who they are. So if anybody ever asks you who's Moses' mother and father, it's Amram and Jochebed. And remember, they having this. They, they got married, but notice times are hard. Why is time so hard? They're slaves. Notice, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, the ruling had already come down from Pharaoh that if a son is born, what do you have to do? You have to cast him in the Nile. So they had a boy baby, and so what's their first thought? I, I just don't think I can do that. I just I don't think I can do that. I mean, they were probably saying, oh, Lord, give us a girl. Oh, Lord, give us a girl. Oh, Lord, give us a girl. Oh, we got a boy. Right? I mean, because everybody wanted boys, but at this stage, you don't want boys. Because if you have a boy, you're going to have to throw him in the Nile. Now, I want you to notice, think about their family. This is not their first child. They've, they've already got a daughter who I don't know how much older she is than Moses. It doesn't really tell us. Her name is Miriam. They've also got another son who is three years older than Moses. So, obviously, when Moses was born uh, three years earlier, the decree wasn't in effect there. 
So, or at least this decree to throw them in the Nile. So, the, the, do anybody know that uh, Moses' older brother's name is Aaron? So you got Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Of course, his name's not Moses here. In fact, we don't know his name. In fact, maybe they didn't name him yet. There's no telling. It doesn't say anything. She just said they hid him. Now, I want you to notice something. Uh, uh, normally, when a son was born, it was a great time of rejoicing, but it's not now. Because they're, they just don't want to cast him in the Nile. You know, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to cast him in the Nile? Let me ask you a question. What would you do? What did the law say? What did the law of the government say? Well, we all cast him in the Nile. And we have all heard that it says that we're, as, as believers, we're to obey the laws of our government. Or at least that's what we think. But the, that's not always true. We obey the laws of the government as long as they don't go contrary to what? The scripture in the New Testament, out after Jesus and the, the disciples, they said we ought to obey God rather than men. Does God say kill babies? No. And so the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, we're going to talk about that in just a second, she hid him for three months. The law of the Pharaoh said kill the boy babies. The word of God says every person is valuable. Oh, it's so beautiful. So uh, so what are they going to do? They're going to always obey God rather than men. So she saw that he was beautiful. Now, how many people think their babies are ugly? Nobody. You have this little baby and you just look in their little faces and you go, that's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my life. And they are beautiful. But that's not what this word means. When it says that she saw that he was beautiful, the word has an idea of special. She, she knew something. She said, this it's not an ordinary baby. There's something here. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith she hid him for three months because she saw he was beautiful. And the word beautiful there means special. She said there's something here. I want you to see it. I want you to turn to Just hold your place and turn to Acts chapter 7. So flip over to Acts chapter 7, which is the, short, the shorter history of the nation of Israel. Do anybody know who's given this history? Hmm? Stephen's given the history. You know, knowing that they were going to kill him at the end, I think he should have gone longer, right? Wouldn't you have gone longer? I'd just like to go a little bit more detail about the Mosaic period, you know, whatever. But anyway, notice what it says. Go back to verse 17 as he's given the, the message in, in Acts 7, 17. It says, But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. The time of the promise, the promise to bring him back. Notice what it says. Until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so they would expose their infants and they would not survive. Now watch the next verse. It was at this time that Moses was born, and he was, notice how they write it, lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. Notice what it says? He's lovely in the sight of God. Goes back to special. Let me just tell you something. The best you can tell by looking through this is that baby, when that baby was born, Amram and Jochebed said, there's something special about this baby. In fact, I think this baby is, is the one. I think this is the one that God has told us that one day we would go back and there'd be somebody to take us back. I, for some reason, they saw 
that this baby was special, that it was special in the sight of God. They knew it. It was amazing. They knew that God was going to use this baby. I, I guarantee you that when, Mo, listen, Moses was a little boy. She raised him up. She raised him up for a while. You know she said to him, honey, you're the one. You are the one to deliver the people. You are the one. God's going to raise you up to be something really special. I guarantee you. She told him that. I'll show you how we know that in a minute. Go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 2. So it says that the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was special, that she was beautiful, that he was special in the sight of God, she hid him for three months. She just couldn't kill him. She said, this baby is, is too valuable. This baby is the one. How she knew, how Amram and Jacobed knew, how they really figured this out, we don't know, but they figured it out. And they knew that he was going to be used by God. And so she did all she could do. And then finally when she could hide him no longer, verse, thir- verse 3, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket, covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now, she obeyed what? The letter of the law. Because what did the law say? Cast the baby in the Nile. So she said, okay, okay. Uh, didn't say anything about not putting him in a basket. Didn't say anything about putting him in a little ark. She puts him in a little bar- ark. That's what she puts him in, a little basket. It's an ark. She put him in that. She said, well, all it said was you have to put your baby in the Nile. So I did. I put my baby in the Nile. Now, she's got a plan. What could she be thinking? Oh, Lord, save his baby somehow. Protect the boy. Save him. You know, the truth is this. Before the Savior of Israel can deliver the people, he must first be delivered because he's in trouble right now. She had plans. Picture this. She said, okay, Miriam. Miriam's probably seven, eight, nine years old. She says, Miriam, what I'm going to do, <clears throat> I'm going to put the baby in the water by the reeds. You stand over there and you watch. You watch what happens and see who comes down. Because normally about this time every day, who comes down to the Nile? Pharaoh's daughter. Say, I'm, I'm not stupid, you know. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the baby out there. Miriam, watch. And that's what she did. Her sister, his sister, verse 4, stood at a distance to find out what would happen. We don't know the future, but we know who holds the future. She had to trust God, just as we have to trust Him. We don't know what holds tomorrow or the next day or weeks or months, but God is in control and He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. In fact, not only does He work all things according to the counsel of His will, it says that He works all things together for what? For good, and it also says that he works all things beyond what what we could even ask or imagine. Now, let me ask you something. What do you think? Is she thinking the best case scenario here? Somebody's going to come along and save the baby's life and take the baby away. The next, maybe the, even the greatest thing that could happen is that Pharaoh's daughter come along because that's when she comes out there and takes the baby. God's going to do beyond what she could ask. Watch what happens. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the Nile with her maidens walking along the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. Now watch what God does. Pharaoh's daughter came down there to bathe and she saw it. You could see her going, look, what is that? What is that? Hey, you, you get over there, you know, one of your maids, one of our servants. You get over there and get that basket. Now, I'm not so sure I want to get too far out in the Nile. Why? 
They got alligators in the Nile. They got they got all that, you know. And she saw the basket among the reeds. Now this woman, remember who she is? Had had set shut. It's hard name for me to say, especially with dyslexia. But anyway, this this woman was amazing. In the history that I studied about her, she was really a maverick. Most of the time, it was always the son of Pharaoh who took leadership. She took leadership with her brother. I told you last week that sometimes she dressed like a man, and she did it on purpose to to gain respect. She was she was really, as they called, a maverick. She was not afraid to do what she wanted to do. She says, "Go get the basket," and they got the basket, and look what happened. When she opened it. She saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now think about it. She opened it up, and she had compassion. She saw a little boy baby, three months old, crying. How do you feel when a baby cries? I mean, sometimes you say, shut the baby up. No, but anyway, most of the time, when the baby cries, you go, oh, sweet little thing, what's wrong? And so she opened that up, and there was that little baby, and God moved her heart. She could have said, this is one of those Hebrew children. Throw it in the river. Couldn't she have? She didn't even do that. Now, who's watching? Miriam. Miriam's over the side. She sees her pick up that basket, the little thing, and she sees her open it. And, And she's probably close enough to even hear. She said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, they called them what? Hebrews. Why did they call them Hebrews? You remember? Because Hebrew means to cross over. They were the people that had crossed over originally from the Tigris-Euphrates River. They crossed over into what we call the Promised Land. So that was their name, Hebrews, the ones who crossed over. They're not going to be called, well, they can be called Israelites too because of, of Israel. And later on they'll be called Jews because of Judah. But at now at this point, she says this is one of the Hebrews' children. She has pity. She could have thrown him in the Nile. You know, we're over there, and you know that that uh, Jacobed is praying, Oh, Lord, don't, don't let her throw him in the river. Oh, Lord, let her take him somehow. Oh, Lord, have, have Miriam do something. At that moment, notice, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? I mean, she's got this baby crying, and Pharaoh's daughter is just to make a decision, right? What am I going to do with this? Cry- what am I going to do with this Hebrew baby? And he's crying, and suddenly Miriam says, "Would you like me to go get one of the Hebrew women so that she can nurse the baby for you?" What Miriam is doing is saying, "I'm going to keep her from thinking about throwing him in the river. I'm going to give her another choice. Would you like me to go get one of the Hebrew women and and they could nurse the baby for you?" The idea is there, you're going to keep the boy, aren't you? You're not going to throw him back in the river. You're not going to do that. Well, look what look what the Pharaoh's daughter said. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So who did the girl go get? <laughs> she went and got Moses' mother, right? What a deal. What a deal. Here is, she, is, she has given him to God. God, I, I have no control. I'm giving him to you. What does God do? Gives him right back to her. Now, remember I said he's going to do beyond what she could even imagine. She had entrusted her child to God, and now God puts him right back into her arms. Look at this. Pharaoh's daughter said, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will do what? I'll pay you to nurse your... 
your baby. She doesn't know it's her baby. I'm going to pay you. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Is God working even beyond what she could have imagined? Think about this. Okay? He is alive. She didn't know if he's going to be alive or not. He's alive. He's with Pharaoh's daughter, which if you're going to get picked up by anybody, who's the best one to get picked up by most likely? I mean, this is that's royalty. Third, being nursed by the real mama. Real mama gets to nurse the, nurse the baby. And by the way, the nursing and the weaning is, could be as old as, could be as young as three to four, could be as old as eight years old. So she's going to get to keep her baby for how long? Maybe three to four to five years. And on top of that, she's going to get paid to nurse her own baby. She says, this is a lot better than I thought it would be. And isn't that the way God works in our lives? Everything's a lot better than we thought. When it's better. It, he works things beyond what we could ask or imagine. That's the way God does. Now, sometimes when we're going through it, it doesn't look like it. And maybe there's some things that happen that we say, I just don't know how this is going to be better than I thought it was going to be. But when we look back overall, in the long run, God works all things together for good. She's going to be able to be with her son until he is weaned. God has blessed her, protected him, and given her money to nurse her own baby. God delivers the deliverer. What would have happened if she'd have went, Hebrew baby crying? Bloosh. I mean, we say, well, I don't, God would have raised up another one, but uh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, the promise was he's going to deliver him out, but there's the deliverer. What? You know, you ever realize how everything is just right there? In the book of Ruth, remember, she just so happened to go into the field of Boaz. Is there any just so happens? Is it? Is it? Did it just so happen she didn't throw him in and she listened to Miriam? No. God's working. Well, look at verse 10. The child grew and all, the, the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. So he could be as young as three when she brings him. He could be as old as eight. But he became her son. He became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. A Hebrew in Egyptian court. That ever happened before? Who? Joseph. God, you know, if you're an Egyptian, you keep saying, where do these Hebrews keep coming from? I mean, every time you turn around, there's another one in the court. I mean, how does this happen? Now, she named him Moses. Look at this. The name Mo is Hebrew, is Egyptian for water. Moses, out of the water. Because she drew him out of the water. That's what it says. And she named him Moses because she said, because I drew him out of the water. Once again, the plan to stop the Jews has failed. Over and over and over. The very one who will later deliver the Jewish people from slavery has been kept alive and raised by the household of Pharaoh. The very one who years later will challenge the household of Pharaoh was saved by the household of Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing? You start looking at it and go, God, you, you do all of these things. You just keep working. By the way, what was his life like? I want you to see something. Hold your place again. Turn back to Acts chapter 7. Okay? And I want you to see what his life was like. And I want to raise a couple of questions for you as you look at it. Okay? Acts chapter 7. Uh, 
Look at verse 21, Acts chapter 7, verse 21. It says, And after he had been set aside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. What do you think it means after he had been set aside? Probably is referring to the being cast in the water after that he got, but Pharaoh's daughter got it. Now look at verse 22. This is a key verse. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. Now let me ask you a question. Were the Egyptians pretty, pretty advanced in learning? I mean, we still don't know how they did the embalming, right? I mean, it's amazing what they did. How did they build those pyramids? How they knew what they were doing. But look at this. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. Now watch the next part. He was a man of power in what? Words and deeds. You know, that, that idea is that, that Moses became a great man. Moses became a leader. He was educated as a leader. He became a man of power. He was a man of power in words or deeds. What does it mean that he was a man of power in words or deeds? He could talk. He could tell you what to do. He, he could speak. He could lead, right? Well, how come later... When God says to Moses, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. And what does he say? I'm not very good at talking. I'm not. You think he was very good at talking? You think he just didn't want to go? You think he was afraid? You think he didn't know what to do? I think he didn't know what to do. I think, I think that Moses was an educated, trained man. And when Moses said, I, I'm not a very good talker, remember what God said to him? Who made your mouth? I did that's what he's saying. We're going to see it. For 40 years, Moses was raised and educated and trained in the household of the king. I mean, I love that. Educated. I mean, think about it. Moses had a privileged life. What about his mother and his sister and his brother? What are they? They're slaves. Do you think that once Moses was raised up, he ever saw his mother and daddy? What do you think? I think so. I think he probably talked with them. I think he knew exactly who they were. I think as he got older, he realized that he was not what? He's not an Egyptian. He knows he's not an Egyptian. He can, he can tell he's not an Egyptian. And he realizes, in fact, I think word has gotten back to him. Probably his sister came and told me. Probably over the time, he knows exactly who his family is. He knows, he knows all of this. Notice verse 23. When he was approaching the age of 40... It entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. Now, when it says it entered his mind to visit his brethren, that doesn't mean that one day he said, you know, I think I'll just go out and talk to some Jews. It's not what it means. To visit his brethren literally means I'm going to go live with them. I'm going to go live with them. That's what he says. It doesn't just mean go be, be out there. It means be a part of them. He realized what? That he was not an Egyptian, that he was a Hebrew. And from his training by his mother, I guarantee you, he knew, he knew he was the man set apart by God. We're going to see a little bit later. It says that he said, don't you people understand I'm the one to lead you out of here? He knew that. Now Moses does something that very few people would ever do. He leaves royalty to become a slave. That's what he does. Moses gave up his place in the palace for a place of slavery. He knew as a Hebrew. I want you to turn to, to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Just, just keep on going back. You've got to see it. That's why it's all, it's all over the place in the scripture here, but you've got to see this. Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 25. Look what it says. 
This, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Fame of what? Faith. It's the faith chapter. Notice what it says, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, how old was he when he had grown up? About 40. Refused to be called the daughter of, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's no longer going to be called that. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He said, I'd rather be, uh, be in the ill treatment with his own people than to be with the Egyptians. Why? Because he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He said being connected with God's people is better than being a king in Egypt. Being a slave for God is better than being a king for man. Think about your life. Remember what David said? He, he said, I'd rather be a servant at the, at, the door, at the door of the temple than to be a, a rich, wealthy man and not have God. It's better to be as poor as you could ever be and have the Lord and live for him than to be the richest person in the world without God. Go back to Exodus 2, and we'll put this together for you. Look at verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Now, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up. How old is he when he grew up? About 40. He went out to his brethren, and he looked at their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way, and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. What did Moses do? He killed a man. He murdered somebody. Don't we all say, Moses, yea, Moses, Moses. Moses is a murderer. We don't say that, do we? We say, Moses the lawgiver. Wow. And when he killed him, what did he do? He hit, buried him in the sand. Said, I think anybody will see that. Don't think so. Was this wrong? Was this wrong? I think so. What? I think so, yeah. The Bible never hides that people are, what people are like. Great men. Moses was a murderer. David, adultery and murder. I mean, the Bible doesn't ever beat around the bush. It just tells it like it is. So what happened? The next day, the next day he went out, and behold, the two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, hey, why are you why are you hitting your companion? Why are you striking your companion? But he said to him, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Who? They didn't realize that he was the leader? They didn't realize that this is the man supposed to take them out? Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 7, verse 25. I don't know if I have it up here or not. I might. Here's Acts 7.25. He thought that they would understand that he was the one to deliver the people, but they did not. By the time Moses is 40 years old and wants to, he wants to do this, he thinks that the nation of Israel recognizes, should recognize him as the leader to deliver them out. How did he get this idea that he was supposed to be the deliverer? Where did he get it from? His family. So he's 40 years old. He says, I can't be an Egyptian anymore. I'm going to be out with my own people. He goes out with his own people. He thinks his own people will say, there's Moses. That's the deliverer. Moses is going, I'm, I'm the deliverer. 
And so he kills an Egyptian, and the next day he says to that Jewish guy, quit hitting your friend. He says, who made you the judge? Who made you the prince? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Moses was afraid, and he said, oh, no, surely the matter has become known. What's the problem? Here's the problem. He had been trained 40 years in Egypt. He needed 40 years to be trained by God in the desert. See, he, all the training in Egypt cannot prepare him to lead God's people. In fact, two things I think stand out. Number one, this is not the right time. It was not the time for him to, to lead them out. Now, if you were picking an age for a person to lead a people out against a big army, would you pick a 40-year-old man or an 80-year-old man? <laughs> you'd probably say, well, how about a 25-year-old man? But anyway, he, he, it, Moses says, I'm 40, and I'm, and I'm a man. I'm 40, and I'm a man. <laughs> I hope that's not on somebody's phone one of these days. But anyway, <laughs> I'm supposed to lead these people out of here. And they said, who made you judge over us? Who made you ruler over us? And so it wasn't the right time, and Moses wasn't ready. He had been trained by the world, Egypt. He needed to be trained by God. And it's the great truth. You can be trained by the ways of the world, but that doesn't train you to do the things for God. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And so the matter had become known, and look what he did. It says, when, Mo when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he was going to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, Midian is out to the, to the, uh, to the east. He goes back in what we would call almost the Sinai Peninsula. He probably crossed in, out of Egypt and into what we call the Sinai, all of that part. And this, he's, you know where he's going to go? He's going to end up. He's going to end up at Mount Sinai. Later on, we'll see it. He fled there. And and you could say you could say Moses, I, I thought you were going to deliver the people, and he goes, didn't work, didn't work. They they weren't they didn't want me to do it, and I guess my life is over. Moses is going to spend the next forty years. That's a long time, isn't it? I mean, in any lifetime, forty years is a long time. He's going to spend the next forty years being trained by God as a shepherd in Midian, so he can shepherd the nation of Israel. See. He had been trained as a leader in Egypt, maybe even as a soldier, but that wasn't. See, when he led the nation of Israel out, they didn't fight. They needed a shepherd to take them out, not a soldier to take them out. And Moses has been led in leadership of the Egyptians, but now God says, i got to put you on the backside of the desert. i got to put you with a bunch of sheep. You're going to have to learn how to take care of them because I'm fixing to give you about two million sheep. I'm going to see how well you can take care of them. Amazing. Um, how would you feel that when you got rejected, you ran for your life, you got into Midian, you're going to get married, you're going to be there, and two years are going to pass, five, and ten, and fifteen, and twenty, and twenty-five. It just keeps going. In 40 years, somebody said, what's your life like? And he said, been a complete waste. He said, you know, I had it made at one time. I was in, did you, y'all know I was in Pharaoh's court? Yeah, but a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that I grew up in Pharaoh's court. I, I was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, I had it made. I got all the training. I was rich. I had food. I had everything. I had anything I wanted. A lot of people don't know that because, I mean, I live way out here in the desert and I don't do anything. But a lot of people didn't know that. 
He was probably one of those that were talking about the good old days, right? Because the days he was living, he wouldn't consider those the good old days, but those were the best days of his life because God was training him to lead his people. So what have we seen? We've seen Moses born. He's special, special in the sight of God. And his parents hit him, and then they put him in the basket in the Nile. And Pharaoh is saved by Pharaoh's daughter. He was trained 40 years and educated in Egypt. He joined his own people and ended up killing an Egyptian and had to flee. He said he thought they would understand that he would be the one to deliver him, but they didn't. It wasn't the right time. And he needed to be trained by God. So let me give you some applications. That's first one is trust God in the events of our lives. We're going to have to. I mean, listen, what's the alternative? Not trusting him. That doesn't, that doesn't ever amount to anything worth a flip, right? So we got to trust him in the events of our lives. First of all, God does greater than we can imagine. Wow. The parents of Moses had to trust God. With the life of their child. They didn't know what was going to happen. They saw he was special. They thought he was the deliverer. They put him in that little basket. And he got delivered there. And God does greater than we can imagine. When you think of Moses' lives. uh, He got adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And she got paid to nurse her own child. And she could tell everything about him that was happening. It was better than she could have imagined. God goes beyond what we could ask or imagine. Second. God is always working in his timing. We always think, or a lot of times we think his timing is not fast enough. I mean, don't we? Don't we say, well, you need to do this right now. We need to build, we need to get the South Complex fixed right now. We need to build the, we need to build the Fender Life Center right now. Obviously, it's not the right time. It'd be there, wouldn't it? So, it doesn't, the time looked right to Moses, but it wasn't. He said, you should realize I'm the one to lead them out. And they said, we don't even know who you are. God's timing is perfect. God designs what we go through so he's working his plan. And so you got, as this passage says, we always obey God rather than men. The third thing is God is preparing us. He is. Moses was trained in Egypt, but God needed him. He needed to be trained by God. We have to be trained by God. We can we can get connected with the world, and we think we know everything in the world. And sometimes we're we're not careful. We go to school, and we think everything that we've got is all that we need. I got all the business skills. I got all this. I got all this. You got to remember that your life is a life of faithfulness for God. That's really what matters. That's really what counts. And when you stand before your Savior, He we want to hear Him say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." There's an old saying that says, "Better to be going through the storm with Christ than smooth sailing without Him." And our lives are a process of growth by faithfulness, the grace of God. We look at the grace of God in saving Moses and preparing Moses. We look at the grace of God in our lives. Saved us, didn't he? And he's preparing us to be used by him. It's just amazing. So may we trust God in the events and circumstances of life, knowing he's doing beyond what we could ask or imagine. He's preparing us for service for his perfect time. Let's pray. And if we've got any questions or comments, we'll do them. Heavenly Father, what a night. Thank you for the truths that are there. Lord, as we look at Moses and we just see how you're working and everything, we just have to trust you. We have to trust you in every event of our life. We don't know what the future holds, but we know that you hold the future and you're working all things according to the counsel of your will, that you're doing greater than we could even ask or imagine. And Lord, if we look back on our lives, we, we see that it's turning out even better than we thought it could ever do. Because the way you work things and things are beyond what we could even ask or imagine. Thank you, Lord, that it's working according to your perfect timing. Your perfect timing. 
Thank you, Lord. We just rest in you. And then, Lord, we know that, that the things that you bring in our lives and the things that we go through, you're just preparing us so that we can continue to serve you. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.